Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up and welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast presented by Visa, a network working for everyone. Michael Beller, Brandon Funston, and Jake Seeley here with you after week one Sunday in the books. Of course, one more game coming up tonight, Ravens and Raiders. But we are looking back at what we saw in week one, looking ahead to week two waivers. Not really a prize on the waiver wire this week. Some guys that are worth going after, and we'll talk about them, but no uh, go smash the fat piggy bank and get player after week one. Guys, fun week, obviously. One week in the books. We're learning a little bit about these teams. Uh, Brandon, give us a, you got a, a takeaway, anything, uh, just what jumped out of you watching games week one? Um... Yeah, no, I don't know if there's any one specific thing, as you said. I don't know. Like you said, I don't know if there's one prize on the waiver wire. Um, I was kind of heartened by the fact that I wasn't completely shocked by anything. You know, like there was some bad play by teams. I mean, like Green Bay getting trounced by the Saints. <laughs> that If I'm just looking at a game that just kind of completely shocked me, that would be the one that jumps out at me. Green Bay looked terrible, and the Saints – Look good. Um, you know, Jameis was solid. He played game manager in a way. It was weird, but uh, yeah, did a nice job. Yeah, that was uh, the one result also that really just I couldn't believe. And I watched a good chunk of that game in that late window and really could not believe what I was seeing. Jake, what was your week one Sunday like? How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm a little tired from victory lapping all my guys. That's fair. <laughs> Everybody will joke. No, like, like there's definitely some misses and we'll get to those, but it was just a really good week of seeing everybody out there. I, I don't care if things went wrong or right or whatever. Just, hey, football's back. I know everybody's annoyed that their fantasy team might even went belly up or something happened that we didn't expect, but it's it's fun. This is why we love it. Yep. Exactly. Let's have some fun uh, on Sundays, on Thursdays, on Mondays, and let's have some fun on this show here. Uh, what we do on Mondays on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, we go through all of Sunday's games. We talk about the takeaways from them. We weave in waivers as we go along, and we do that uh, in order of games. So let's start with those uh, early games that we saw, and let's start with Lions and 49ers, which became a game, guys. That was one that the 49ers had totally in control, seemed totally put away, and then Jared Goff doing some magic late in that game made it onto a one-score game, and the Lions had the ball with an opportunity to tie. Ultimately, did not work out. Certainly hurt people who bet on the 49ers on Sunday when that uh, had moved uh, beyond the eight-point mark, but uh, let's talk about some fantasy things here, and I want to start off with Detroit's backfield pairing that we saw 
between DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. Swift, 11 carries, 39 yards, uh, 8 catches on 11 targets for 65 yards and a score. He played 63 snaps. Jamal Williams played 32 snaps, got 9 carries, a touchdown in what was garbage time at the time that he scored it. He also had a big role in the passing game. Eight catches on nine targets for 56 yards. Jake, you look at that Lions backfield. What do you do going forward with what we saw on Sunday? Same thing we were doing beforehand. Exactly what we talked about and expected the entire time. It's going to be Anthony Lynn's split backfield with DeAndre Swift being more valuable, but John Mall Williams being a valuable piece in fantasy leagues as well. Uh, this is what he's used to. Or I, he's done. We should be used to when mm-hmm. it comes to him. Uh, I think the telling sign of it is we could feel good about the fact that not so much Jamal Williams because he had the touchdown was then, but he was already getting run throughout the entire game and passing game work, which is one of the things we've been talking about. But that DeAndre Swift got as much work as he did in his first game back. So 60-40 looks like to be what we expected. It's going to be what it is and what it is every single week. Uh, you know, maybe they both don't have great games every single week. But you're going to get DeAndre Swift as a rock-solid top-end RB2 and Jamal Williams in the flex conversations most weeks. And I'll be right back as Barkley has to go to the body. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. We can um, take care of I, this. I was going to say the same thing. You've got to be heartened by the fact that DeAndre Swift played as much as he did one yeah. and looked good. I mean, I thought he – look, if I'm just looking eye test, he's mm-hmm. he looks better than Jamal Williams. And I, I, that you should be heartened by that fact in the passing game, the eight catches. I know Jamal Williams had eight catches as well. But, man, for some reason, DeAndre Swift just flashes to me when he has the ball in his hand. He just looks like a lethal weapon. So, um, you know – to come in having been injured and to get you know that kind of workload, I I think you got to be heartened that that can only grow a little bit. Um, but yeah, you were fooling yourself from the get go if you didn't think this Jamal Williams was going to play as much of a role as he did. DeAndre Swift definitely did not look like a guy who was nursing a groin injury going into this game. So you got to feel good about that. You feel good about DeAndre Swift. Uh, if you are a Swift guy, you feel good about what Williams did and the role that he had and the role that you feel like he's going to have uh, going forward. So feeling good about that Lions backfield for sure after week one. On the other side, Raheem Mostert seemed primed for a big day with Trey Sermon made inactive. And then Raheem Mostert goes down with a knee injury very early on. We've got a question here from M. Smeltz19. Think I know who that is. Is what should we make of the 49ers backfield with the Mostert injury? How would we rank those San Francisco running backs going forward? And we can talk about Elijah Mitchell. He had a big game, 19 carries for 104 yards and a touchdown. But Trey Sermon could just as well very easily be made active in week two. We don't have any new word on the Mostert injury just yet. Brandon, how are you treating Elijah Mitchell on waivers and looking at the San Francisco backfield going forward with the assumption that Mostert misses a game or two? Let's just start with that. Yeah, I'm interested in Elijah Mitchell because now you're getting reports that he actually outplayed Trey Sermon uh, in in the preseason. That's what Kyle Shanahan had said. There's this underlying, you know, there's been this little bit of a a rumor that maybe um, Trey Sermon was late for a meeting. Uh, not confirmed, but there's some weirdness there. I actually went out in, in one of my leagues and added Elijah Mitchell on Sunday morning just to have him on my bench. And so, uh, but had I not done that, I'd probably be interested in, in, in you know, at least a couple of leagues of trying to go out there and get him and see how this plays out. If it truly is Elijah Mitchell outplayed Trey Sermon and he's, you know, he was ahead of him going into this week. He did nothing to lose his spot ahead of Trey Sermon with his performance. So a lot of this hinges on Mostert's injury news, um, but Look at Mostert had 20 yards on two carries, and if he's fine and comes back, then um, we're as split duo backfield as as Kyle Shanahan ever was, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, You know, look, you you have to go after Elijah Mitchell. Uh, 
I've said this yesterday on Twitter, and I said, you know, I, I jokingly have said it on this show with you guys, and I said, watch Elijah Mitchell be the guy at some point. And <laughs> but I was saying that more because, so I was higher than some on his talent coming out of college, but he still wasn't in tier one. He still wasn't even tier two. Let be honest about like my opinion of Elijah Mitchell. So, but I said that more on this show as a tongue in cheek because of Shanahan. And yeah. the reason I'm saying this, and the reason I'm prefacing my answer with this, is because it is still Kyle Shanahan. Our own Matt Barrows asked, asked him, and he said, "He said, look, we had the entire preseason where it looked like Trey Sermon. I'm paraphrasing his question. I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. the answer. But the entire season was Trey Sermon, and then this happens. What's the deal? And Shanahan basically said he's never had a running back hierarchy. He's never had one. He never had, like, Sermon's two, Elijah Mitchell's three, J. Mike. And what it is is it's Shanahan. Any given week could be anybody. This was why we've joked about him for years, but he makes everybody valuable. So let's say Mostert's out. Let's say Mostert's out half the season. Sure. I would still go Elijah Mitchell, but I'm still buying low on Trey Sermon everywhere I possibly can because I don't think there's a non-zero chance where Sermon's the guy next week. And all of a sudden, Sermon's back into the lead, whether it's what you said, whether it's a report of like missing practice or whatever that might be. And it's because Sermon fills the similar role to Raheem Mostert, is in more powerful than Elijah Mitchell is. Elijah Mitchell, complimentary piece, as in could be a 60-40 split, and he's out there a lot. But that's where, so I, I, I would go Mitchell first, but I wouldn't be shocked if Sermon ends up being the guy next week. So I'm not going crazy on Elijah Mitchell. Like, most fab, if we knew the answer was Elijah Mitchell for the 49ers, we would say, what, 50, 60%? Like, go get him, go everything you buy. I'm going like 20, 30%. Even that feels like a pretty good chunk of your fab to go for a guy who could very well be splitting yeah, the backfield but, uh, once again right off the like bat. If we said Mostert's out for the season, we know Elijah Mitchell is the guy, the yeah. lead, you would go bananas for it. And that's what I'm saying is because it's Shanahan, because of all these question marks out there, I think 30 would probably be where I stop. All right, what's your guys' concern level on Brandon Ayuk? You came into this with a little bit of a hamstring injury, but played played 20 snick snaps. Meanwhile, Trent Sherfield played 27 snaps. He got in the end zone. He looked pretty good. How worried are you about Ayuk right now, Jake? I'm not. I think it just has to do with injury and the fact that you just mentioned it. <laughs> Sherfield still didn't play that many snaps. It wasn't like he was out there for 50, and that might be more of a concern if it was. I think Sherfield is clearly the number three. And Shanahan, again, said this is like about play and stuff like that, and that Sherfield looked good. Through. Like, again, I don't believe anything of Shanahan says. I don't care. I don't care if he had a $10 bill in his hand and he's handed it to me and said, this is a $10 bill. I'd still be like, <laughs> ah, let me check the back of it. I don't know if you're telling me the truth. It's just... So it's still Ayuk. You can't compare Sherfield's talent to Ayuk. I will say it's concerning, at least in the short term, that maybe we don't see Ayuk's true fantasy value mm-hmm. for two or three weeks. And if that's the case, buy low right now, but maybe even buy even lower next week. Yeah, this is exactly the reason why I was so high on Debo Samuel. You could sort of predict this, not to the extent that he was going to do literally nothing, but that you know he was going to be limited and that Debo would, would kind of win the day in, in the receiving core. But Sherfield, I think you... Uh, you can start paying attention to him if Trey Lance gets more <laughs> gets more snaps because he's the guy that made the big play in the preseason with Trey Lance, and then yeah. Trey Lance comes out, throws his first touchdown to him. So maybe they have a thing. You can move him up if Trey Lance is uh, the quarterback. Don't think we're going to be seeing that for a while. Jimmy G, a very efficient game in this win for the 49ers. Let's get on to Texans and Jaguars, you guys. The Texans just blowing the doors off of the Jacksonville Jaguars. We know that Mark Ingram is going to be talked about on the waiver wire. I think we're all probably in the same camp on this. 26 carries, 85 yards, one touchdown. 
Mark Ingram's not getting another game this season with 26 carries. I would be willing to make that bet right now. To me, you guys, this was a volume thing that worked out nicely for Mark Ingram in week one, but not at all something we can bet on happening in the future. And for that reason, he is a very low priority for me on waivers, if he's even making my waiver priority at all. Where do you stand on this one, Brandon? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, how many games are Houston going to absolutely like have their foot on the neck of an opponent like that, and, you know, and be afforded the opportunity? And look, in the passing down is a whole different situation. That was David Johnson. That was Philip Lindsay. Yep. Now, if you imagine Houston's as bad as we thought they were and that now we have to imagine Jacksonville's even worse than we thought they were. Um you got to expect that there's going to be a lot of passing down situations for that backfield. So I'm with you. I don't think, but it is, at least it kind of, you know, gives us the context clues of what you can mm-hmm. expect. Give you know, if you can imagine the narrative for the game going in each week, uh, okay, this is a game they might be able to hang around. This could be a better Mark Ingram game, but if it's against someone that you think they're going to blow the doors off of them, you know, you got to start looking at David Johnson and Philip Lindsay, but really maybe not any of them. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, think that's exactly the, the the point, right? But all three of them found the end zone in week one, which uh, who would have uh, who would have bet on that happening going into the game? Would love to have seen the odds you could have gotten on that. Jake, I want to ask you about the backfield on the other side of this game. Is Carlos Hyde going to be a pain all season for James Robinson? Because Carlos Hyde got yeah. nine carries in this one. James Robinson got five. Robinson, uh, the clear pass catching back. But I mean, do we have to right now think like Hyde is the primary runner in this offense? A runner, James Robinson still had twice as many snaps, almost twice as many snaps as Carlos Hyde. So the answer is yes, but also no. It is yes, he's going to be frustrating thorn in the side of James Robinson because of Urban Meyer. Like This is what we talked about before, and Travis Etienne, we brought up num- numerous times, is the fact that he's clearly not enamored with James Robinson. Uh, I think James Robinson's potentially still a decent buy low because I would expect the Jaguars to be passing a lot this year. Uh, I think that was part of the intriguing part. I know you're not asking about him, but if you need tight end help, O'Shaughnessy was out there a ton and getting targets. All three were out there. Again, Chenault was third. Chark immediately in the factor as the top two with Marvin Jones. But it doesn't matter if you're going to be throwing 40 times a game. I think that's what you go for. And if that's the case, I still want James Robinson, but I don't think we're looking at top 15 maybe even top 20 value. And yes, so Hyde can be annoying, but I would still want James Robinson. James Robinson was a usage monster last year. That might not be the case this year. Go ahead, Brandon. Oh, I'm just seriously wondering how how much do you guys think that Urban Meyer is going to last the season? I mean, it's <laughs> it's he's I mean, they could conceivably go 0-16 or 0-17. Uh, I don't think he's going to hang around for an entirety of that if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't think he would either. I'd, I, I think he probably makes it through this season, but what a brutal start to the season for Horrible. him, for this team. I mean, they looked terrible. They were outcoached. They were outplayed. They looked not ready for week one. It was just a really ugly game. You could argue, you know, I mean, next to the Packers, they probably had the ugliest performance top to bottom. And even that is more just about the expectations we have for the Packers versus the ones that we have for the Jaguars. Um, I actually do want to ask you guys one more question about this game. Are we already ready to stream our quarterbacks against the Jaguars? Because Tyrod looked awesome. In this one, 291 yards, 8.8 yards per attempt, two touchdowns. Is the Jaguars just a start your guys and have fun sort of team defense here, Jake? I would say to a degree. I mean, I'm not going to go as far as to start Daniel Jones versus them and anything like that right now, but <laughs> well, or even Teddy on the flip side of that gate. Like, yeah, I mean, so yeah, it is, but I'm not just saying like, I wouldn't just immediately start everybody that they're yeah. facing. Like, what's that? Oh, next week is Teddy. Like, I, I wouldn't start oh, Teddy Bridgewater. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, All right, guys, let's move on to our next game here. We've got the Jets and the Panthers. And the first question I want to ask you guys in this one 
is about the Jets' backfield. And there's not a ton coming out of this game fantasy-wise, but the Jets' backfield we knew was going to be a pain uh, right off the bat. And we think that Michael Carter can be a Miles Sanders-type player from his rookie year. But are Tevin Coleman and Ty Johnson just immediately droppable, Brandon, after what we saw in Week 1? They got drafted in a lot of leagues. After what we saw from them in Week 1 in this backfield, is there any reason to hold on to either of these guys? No. As I'm going out there into the waiver pool this week, uh, you know, I do have a couple teams where there's a Tevin Coleman or a Ty Johnson. They'll be the guys that I'll be cutting to bring in other people. So this is this is kind of the same as it ever was. Uh, you know, we don't need Connor Hughes, our our Jed's beat writer to tell us each week that this there's nothing to see here move on but that's basically still the case and you know it's good if you're you know a Michael Carter guy at some point if the Jets keep losing they will just turn to the future and say okay we're gonna you know give give our you know, rookie some more run it's gonna happen at some point but so I won't be cutting Michael Carter loose but I will be cutting those other guys loose yeah it's, really? it's a good example of uh, I was going to say being right and wrong in this game, right? The fact that like, I want nobody, I want to wait on Michael Carter, but wrong on, and uh, just bringing him into the conversation for you, Beller is the <laughs> Elijah Moore. Uh, I had Elijah Moore as a top 40 wide receiver because of no Jameson Crowder. Uh-huh. And he was out there a ton, four targets, one catch, negative three yards. It was a miserable day. <laughs> so wrong in that aspect. If Jameson Crowder ever comes back again, it's a core. So how healthy will he be? Will he get a full complement of snaps? Mm-hmm. I'm still stashing Elijah Moore, but like, admittedly was too excited for week one, similar to an opportunity for like the other rookie wide receivers. to just to figure yep. it was going to be there, but it ended up being Braxton Berrios was the second most valuable. Yeah, and Denzel Mims played three snaps in this game, in a game where, uh, where Crowder was out, where Keelan Cole was out, three snaps for Denzel Mims. So the bloom has come off that rose very quickly. Uh, Brandon, what were your thoughts from this game on the two quarterbacks? Zach Wilson, Sam Darnold, they're going to be captaining these ships all season long. There are some intriguing pieces in both of their wide receiver groups. So we want to see good play from those guys. What were your takeaways on these two from this game? I thought Zach Wilson looked fine. Uh, he was under pressure, seemingly. Just when when I was watching, it seemed like he was under pressure constantly. And so, you know, he had the six sacks, which speaks to that. But he only had the one interception. Um, so not bad for a first showing. Um, Sam Darnold. Yeah, I, I think he looked he looked uh, you know like someone who got an environment upgrade. You know, um, so yeah, I, I I think Sam Darnold kind of put himself in the sort of the uh, you know what in a good situation. I could feel okay starting Sam Darnold in a week. You know, on a kind of a streaming basis. That's kind of where I was at with Darnold. Well, so I, I want to. I, I know we're trying to go fire quickly, but I do want to say like Beckton left that game. And right. so yeah. that that's concerning because one of the compliments that we had about the Jets is look at their offensive line and what they're mm-hmm. building. And if he's going to be under pressure, that being Zach Wilson, it, it just might it, the Elijah Moore situation with James Crowder might not matter. It just might be Corey <laughs> Davis and nobody else because uh, Wilson struggled under pressure, as Brandon just said, a lot. And he was under a lot of pressure. If that's going to continue, then you, this backfield and Wilson are just going to be a mess. Yeah, it definitely could. We'll see what the word is on Mekhi Becton. But that was something we were really excited about, that they got him back this year after he was injured a year ago and now already injured to start off this 2021 season. So hopefully we get some good news on that side. Yeah, let's uh, let, let's move on to our next game because it's, it's definitely uh, one of the more uh, fun ones to talk about. Cardinals just blowing the doors off the Titans in week one. Great performance from Kyler Murray. Threw for four touchdowns. Ran for another. Let's start on, you know what, let's start on Tennessee's side of things. Jake, is this a bad week for Tennessee, or is there reason to worry about these guys? 
Uh, it's a bad week for Tennessee. Uh, you can say a little bit of worry, but where? I mean, Julio Jones definitely looked like he was just getting back into quote-unquote game shape and just not quite, quite right there. A.J. Brown had his fine day. Uh, Tannehill had one of his worst games in a long time. Derrick Henry had a bad game as well, just that just went sideways. Uh, I think part of it just might be defensively throwing things at them from Arizona. Like Arizona, we talked about it for fantasy, but we're talking about it in general. Arizona's defense is underrated. This going into this year, people like didn't realize that Arizona's defense is really starting playing well in the second half. You know, you have pieces like Isaiah Simmons who have acclimated more to that kind of Joker role almost that they got him running in, but just pieces everywhere now. They're really starting to put it together. And I'm not saying Arizona is a top five defense that you should scare and sit everybody against Arizona, but I just, it's the culmination of things. It's just Julio Jones wasn't prepared to be ready for week one. It looked like not him mentally, but you know, that, uh, Things went sideways. Arizona played really well. Arizona pushed the pace where we thought Tennessee might push the pace. And it, it, it just it's a bad week one. Yeah, I mean, Chandler Jones absolutely dominated that <laughs> offensive line. And, and look at J.J. Watt. I mean, it, we'll see how, if he can last the whole season playing the way he did. But he looked somewhat primish in this mm-hmm. game. He was making a lot of plays, looked really good. And, you know, they have a new offensive coordinator, Todd Downing. And there could be some, you know, some subtle growing pains here with this Tennessee team. But. I want to. I just kind of want to throw out there. I just don't think Tennessee is that good of a team in general. I mean, that defense is terrible. Yes, and and they may end up being the playoff. I, I would still bet on the the Colts being the playoff team out of this division. But I think we're looking at you know a nine and eight kind of division winner here with, with the AFC South. Right there with you on that one, and man, Chandler Jones five sacks in this one, as you said, Funston. All I can think of as a Bears fan whenever I hear Chandler Jones' name is that the Bears took Shea McClellan over him. One pick before Chandler Jones went (laughs) in that draft. Could have been a little bit different, but hey, let's not get bogged down in that. On the other side of this game, as I said, Kyler Murray throwing four touchdowns. Two go to DeAndre Hopkins, no surprise there. The other two go to Christian Kirk, and Christian Kirk, you guys had a a very nice game in this one. Five catches for 70 yards and those two touchdowns. Those were all five of his targets. He played 37 snaps. Rondale Moore played 20 snaps. A.J. Green played 54 snaps. A.J. Green did virtually nothing with his 54 snaps. Six targets, caught two for 25 yards. Rondale Moore, 20 snaps, five targets, four for 68. So, They want to get the ball in his hands. They did get the ball in his hands successfully, and he did what we would expect him to do with those opportunities. Christian Kirk, how important is he for your waiver bids this week, Jake? Uh, I'd say mildly. You know, this is somebody that we've been rooting for, and a lot of the people in the industry, including myself, have been on. I had hesitancy of being on him for the first time ever this year. (laughs) And one game, like I said, I said, say, like one game is not going to be like, oh my God, I'm 100% back in just because they are manufacturing, as you mentioned, touches for Rondell Moore. But not even that, because Rondell Moore was fourth in snaps, just way behind everybody else. But Christian Kirk was way behind AJ Green still. Like, way. I mean, I want to say it was like 15 to 20 fewer snaps. And that's the biggest concern here is like, can get super excited for Christian Kirk. And I hope he is the breakout. And I will go if he's in there in some leagues available. I have him. I actually have him in my home league um, just because he was a cheap late round $1 play in the auction that we had. So if you look at it, uh, Christian Kirk, yes, go get him, but don't expect it to be a complete breakout until he needs to push AJ Green in snaps. Mm-hmm. But you can't count on 30 snaps and two touchdowns. Just like I know we're going to talk about the Saints and there's going to be a hell of a lot of snap situations <laughs> we're not excited about in that game. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit leery of big game Kirk. He, I, I'm just quickly looking it up. He now has nine of his 14 career touchdowns in four games. So it, this is 
we've seen this before. Yeah. It's um, you know, his his deal was always he was the the definition of a roller coaster ride, and mm-hmm. that there was there was some big lulls in between the big spikes. But uh, he's been capable of this in the past, and it's just you know, even no matter what he did in this one. What's really going to come down to is we're going to all need to see him prove it week in and week out for a little while. Yeah. And like Jake said, maybe get at least close to A.J. Green. Maybe uh, silly to expect him to supplant A.J. Green. But again, Green played 54 snaps. Kirk played 37. He'll be on my list for sure. I will be placing some claims for him, but I'm not going crazy. I'm not expecting to start him right away in week two. Just want to mention also that the Arizona backs played exactly to script in this one. Chase Edmonds, 12 carries for 63 yards, four catches for 43. James Conner got more carries, fewer yards, and was in near the goal line. I think that's something that we can expect going forward. Let's move on to our next game here. Seahawks and Colts. Seahawks cruise to a 28-16 victory in this one. I don't know if there's really much to talk about on Seattle's side of things. Funston and I were uh, joking before we got recording here. Funston, of course, a Seahawks fan, and it was just exactly what we expect from the Seahawks. Russell Wilson throws four touchdowns, a couple of big plays for Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf gets in the end zone. Uh, Chris Carson gets his 16 for 90. We have at one tight end, Gerald Everett, make a play. And there you go. So I don't know if there's really a lot to say about the Seahawks, but yes. I think there is. Oh, go ahead. What's up? Don't overact to Gerald Everett. Oh, okay. <laughs> 50, he had the same amount of snaps as Will Disley. 50-50. The touchdown could have easily have gone to Disley too. I, I would not overreact to Everett at all. Brandon? Well, the na- the nature of how Everett scored was probably not a way Disley could have scored. So I, j- I would just say it was it was a pretty athletic play, and it wasn't probably a route that Disley would have ran. But I, I don't I, you know I don't disagree uh, with you at all. I mean, when you get two catches for twenty yards and a touchdown, mm-hmm. and you only have two targets on the day, yeah. you got to pump the brakes on. I'm getting <laughs> excited about Gerald Everett for just scoring a touchdown. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, right. This is same as it ever was. It's Lockett, it's DK, it's Chris Carson, and everyone else fights for whatever is left over. Uh, let's talk about Indy's side of things, though, and I specifically want to talk about their pass catchers in this game. And when I say pass catchers, guys, I'm also talking about the backs. Jonathan Taylor caught six passes for 60 yards. Naeem Hines caught six passes for 48 yards. Michael Pittman only caught three passes for 29. Zach Pascal got in the end zone a couple of times, but just five targets, four catches, 43 yards. Uh, we know there was no T.Y. Hilton in this game. Uh, Jake, what are you doing with these uh, indie pass catchers? And let's add Hines in there as a potential add to make on the waiver wire this week. That's the bigger thing, I think, is the Hines situation. Look, uh, for everything that we've talked about on this show and said time and again is that, you know, Zach Pascal was in front of Paris Campbell and Zach Pascal deserved attention over Paris Campbell. Yes, Paris Campbell had the better college pedigree and there was excitement for him. Injuries derailed what he potentially could have been, but he's, you know, he still could be someday, maybe Christian Kirk situation like that, but he's not there yet. Pascal is. And no, I'm not expecting, and this is an ODU or anything like, I'm not expecting two touchdowns. I had. Paris Campbell still in like the 50s. It wasn't even that excited to start it. I had Pittman too high for where he finished, expecting Pittman to get that volume. But maybe what it comes out of this is, as you just mentioned, number two in the targets and opportunity situation was Naheem Hines. Maybe Carson Wentz just is that kind of quarterback at this point of his career. It's going to be Taylor Hines, then a one singular receiver. And one week it might be Pittman, one week it might be Pascal. And you know, maybe we're too, uh, I don't want to say we and include you guys if you weren't, but maybe being too high on Pittman because I had him inside top 40 wide receivers for week one based on pure volume, similar to a Brandon Cooks and Marvin Jones situation yeah. is that it's not going to be consistent for him, even though we wanted and expected it to be. 
You can say yeah, if just, it's not we, Brandon. You can say you're, I'm not. Don't include you. <laughs> no, I mean it's. Just, I just go back to last year. I've never felt like there's been a clear one in this passing game. You know, it's it's never even in the back of my mind. And I did move up Pittman to like I think I had him at wide receiver 37 this week. So I mean I ranked him too high, and I had Pascal, but I I, I knew Pascal was was going to be up there as well. I just never feels like there's like a big delineation between the one and the two in this passing game, even going back to last year. So, and I think a lot with the Colts is they looked like a team that didn't have their quarterback playing with the first unit for uh, most the of the summer. summer. I mean, they, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, I think there's just some, there's just some, you know, some rust that needs to get knocked off there with that offense. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, if you didn't watch the game and you had Carson Wentz in your fantasy lineup, you're probably happy with the bottom line numbers, 251 yards and a pair of touchdowns. But it took a lot of grinding to get there to 6.6 yards per attempt. Would hope to see a little bit more efficiency from that passing game going forward. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. One of the more uh, surprising results of the day for me, you guys, was the Steelers and the Bills. And it wasn't just the fact that the Bills go into Orchard Park and get a win over Buffalo, but it was the way that that game was played. Just very inefficient offense on both sides of that contest. Jake, we'll start with you here. Okay, is week one, week one jitters, week one just discombobulation, or are you concerned about anyone on either side of this game? No, uh, copy and paste Titans to Bills is sim yeah. similar situation. Defense that they faced was tough. Things went sideways. Things just never got on track. There were still signs in there. Josh Allen still had a Josh Allen-y type day without the touchdown. Still 300 yards, still ran. Uh, Stefan Diggs, maybe not back to 100%. Similar, like, that's why I say copy paste. Maybe similar to right. Julio Jones. Just not quite back to 100%. Wasn't ready to roll 100% of what he could be in week one. Beasley was still Beasley. Uh, people overlook that. Um, and, you know, Gabe Davis, I want to put too much into that touchdown because, again, that snaps way, way, way behind everybody else. Emmanuel right. Sanders out there way more than he was. Uh, the biggest thing, and I talked about this meanie on my all-in-football show this morning before I came on here, is that it, it, we're talking real life. I think they need Zach Moss out there. Like, I don't like Zach Moss for fantasy. You guys know that. Everybody knows that. And mm. I don't know that you guys are fans of Zach Moss either. But it's just, and Devin Singletary, that was a surprise and active yesterday as well because it was a healthy and active. And maybe there's some more news we'll find out about later. But no, the Bills don't need to run like everybody else. But you can't abandon it and have success in the NFL. Otherwise, what just happened yesterday? That's what happened. Is like you mm -hmm. gave the Steelers an out. They didn't have to account for your running game. Like they're just like screw it. We'll stop everything else. Go ahead and try to pass seventy times. Look what happens. And that's that. And I bring that in to say like this is why we were on Damian Harris is because Damian Harris brought a dimension to the Patriots backfield 
is where you don't have to say, all right, they're going to run, they're going to pass. So you want to take defenses and put them on their heels if possible, and the Bills aren't going to have success and could struggle for a while unless they do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. They they probably need to think about balance a little bit more. And, and like you go back to last year, second half, you couldn't have held Josh Allen to 16 points. The guy mm-hmm. was just making mm-hmm. plays left and right. And he was unstoppable. He looked a little bit like reverting back to like second year Josh Allen. Um, I said the same he, thing. <laughs> yeah, he sort of did. Like I just watched him and it was like, oh, I'm not I'm not getting that same wow sense that I had of him in the second half of last year. And 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 the the defense is great. I mean, the pro football focus ranks their front seven for the Steelers as the best in the league. And, and it looked like it, you know, and. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you gotta you gotta account for that a little bit. Josh Allen didn't have a interception or anything. I but I was surprised, like you were Beller, that this game was just a, it from an offensive standpoint, a complete and absolute dud. Yeah, it it really was. And to Jake's point, you had Devin Singletary run for seventy two yards on eleven carries. Like you know, he had he had only his biggest play was a twenty five yard run. It wasn't. It's not like we're talking one sixty yard carry and then ten carries for twelve yards. So he ran it well enough when he ran it, but there just wasn't the threat of a run that the Steelers had to respect, and they were able to shut down Josh Allen just five point three yards per attempt for Josh Allen in this one. Let's move on to the Eagles and uh, and Falcons. A really impressive performance for the Eagles. Maybe the NFC East, not quite the doormat it was last season. Let's start with Devontae Smith. Funston, I'm just going to, I'm going to make you uh, eat crow on some of your uh, rookie receiver rankings in week one. You're not (laughs) uh, ready to say that these guys were going to get it going. Well, a few of them did. Devontae Smith was one of them. He gets uh, 62 of 71 snaps, first of all, for the Eagles. So that's a big number. Maybe the biggest number that he had on Sunday. Eight targets, six catches, 71 yards, and a touchdown. How are you feeling about Devontae Smith now, Brandon? I've always felt good about him. I just wasn't going to pump him up in week one. But I, yeah, I'll admit I was wrong on that. That was a surprise. Jamar Chase, another one. Believe me, I was way down on Jamar Chase. and um, Jalen Waddle. Yeah. And Jalen Waddle, I was that was it. Yep, I was ranked all those guys low. The only one I was right on was Elijah Moore, apparently. Um, <laughs> and Rondell, you got the Moors yeah. right. You got the Moops right. No. More, more really. Uh, I'll the give. I have to tip my cap. <laughs> thank yeah. you, thank you, Billy. <laughs> um, gotta tip my hat to Jalen Hurts. I thought he looked really good. I've been, I've been kind of on him as far as his passing acumen, but you know, kind of kept things short and uh, didn't try to do too much in the passing game, but delivered accurately and and Mm -hmm. did a good job kind of managing that game and managing that lead. So uh, hat tip to to Jalen Hurts. But yeah, Devontae Smith, you know, he's he's going to be a stud. It's clear. Um, And it's it's clear that I was, you know, he's going to be be there quicker than I expected him to be. Man, default starter, Jake. Who Smith? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. This game was a rose. You want to know why? Because the Jay Lins. Oh, you see? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm booing oh, myself. My Jalen Hurts and Jalen. Ra- no, no, no. This was this was a Jake game. I was having a hell of a lot of fun with this game. Jalen Hurts can't throw in the NFL. Yeah, how'd that work out? Devontae Smith, uh, rookie. I'm not saying for you, Brandon, but Devontae Smith there. Jalen Rager's done. Ten, toast. He's nothing left in his career. What did Jalen Rager do? I am so happy. To, and I am a Giants fan. Well, I'm not a fan right now. Everybody knows that. I'm kind of like until Gettleman. <laughs> gone but I, I have giants in my heart and i was still happy to, oh you know what I, I forgot let's where is it oh here's jalen hurts right here yeah get uh, it jalen out hurts get him out jalen get hurts him on camera autographed mini helmet from jalen hurts 
represent Jalen. Thank you for doing what we knew you could do. Uh, no, but yeah, like Devontae Smith's every week starter. I'm not saying Rager is, but Rager yeah. is definitively still what I thought he could be in that wide receiver four category. It's Smith first. Uh, I will say the one negative to take away from their offense is Dallas Goddard still only, what, 11 more snaps than Zach Ertz? I know he had the touchdown, but I don't think he's going to be as consistently reliable. People are going to see that and not have seen the game or see the box score. And so they're going to say, like, oh, Dallas Goddard, top 10, locked in, tight end. I, I think there's still going to be some inconsistency until Zach Ertz is completely out of the picture. Let me ask you guys about Miles Sanders. You were already starting Miles Sanders, obviously. You were starting him this week. You were starting him next week. But do you feel better? about him now than you did a week ago when you were maybe doing your last drafts? Because that was a very impressive game, I think, from Miles Sanders. Yes. There was still plenty of Kenny Gainwell in the uh, game plan, but 15 carries, 74 yards, four catches on five targets, 39 yards. Jake, you say yes, take it away. Because the targets. Uh, this So again, uh, I, I will victory lap like anybody else will, but I'll also admit when I'm wrong. I had said how many times, guys, how many times that I said yeah. what the Eagles are telling us is they don't like Miles Sanders in the passing game. And you we saw that through the preseason. I really didn't expect I expected it to be Kenny Gainwell. And I actually had Boston Scott in the waiver column last week because Boston mm-hmm. Scott was still getting his use in the passing game in the preseason. It looks like it's Sanders Gainwell with Scott now being an afterthought. But the good part about it is whatever's going on with Gainwell and Scott is they use Sanders in the passing game. And if you're going to use Sanders in the passing game, Sanders is going to be back to being towards that RB1 conversation. Yeah, if we can start thinking about Sanders getting three or four catches a week, that's I mean, that's fantastic. But I was starting to pick up some Gainwell shares at a couple different teams before the season, right at the end of the year. I had a couple opportunities to pick him up. I'm glad because, you know, 11 touches out of the gate, nine carries. Uh, he was in there, you know, late in the game. So, yes, feel good about Miles Sanders. B, this is kind of. We also know that this is going to be a shared backfield of some <laughs> Did sort. You say yes, B. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> so a, A, yes. Uh, but yeah, B is Ken. Ken Gainwell is looking clearly as the number two, and and maybe usable guy in in flex or in bye weeks. So we'll see. Yeah, uh, let's get to Atlanta's offense really quickly on the other side of this game. I think it's probably, at least from a fantasy perspective, what we talked about with Tennessee, what we talked about with Buffalo, uh, because the vol- or the, the opportunity was still there, right? Pitts, eight targets. Ridley, eight targets. Mike Davis, 15 carries and six targets. So those guys didn't produce, but the opportunity was there. Is there any alarm bells to sound for any of these guys, Jake, or can we just move on? I would say alarm bells for anybody not named those three. Uh, you know what? A mini, yeah. a, a very small, a small, like a little background alert just in case for the Mike Davis because Wayne Gallman wasn't active. Uh, you guys know I've been the Mike Davis guy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Cordell Patterson getting as much run as he did yeah. makes me feel like, you know, if Mike Davis stays healthy and he's getting 15 touches a week, cool or whatever. But is that Cordell or Patterson uses because maybe they plan for Gallman to get more once he's acclimated to the system, the team system? Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I do have like, not yet. The alarm bell is not fully going off, but it's just kind of like, hey, there's like a light you might want to check. Yeah, but wasn't a lot of that garbage time for, for Patterson in no. terms of the... He was getting, uh, he was getting I, was, I thought with, I was looking at Bosco early. I did not see those numbers from Patterson jump out of me. But He was getting run um, before the end of the first half. Okay. Well, it was might have been close to garbage time at that point anyway. But. <laughs> <laughs> the game was never that bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's 32 to 6. Um, no, one thing I want to, want to just point out, hey, people should check out Casey Joyner's rundown. He does like a – you know, answers a question for each game. And one thing he noted about Kyle Pitts was they weirdly had – QB pressure on almost every one of his targets. It was like compared to everybody else's targets, there was 
you know, not even close to the amount of pressure uh, that was put on Matt Ryan during those throws. So just a kind of an anomaly that there was so much pressure when he actually targeted Kyle Pitts. And I don't know if that's something you can count on uh, week in and week out. I think part of it is that, you know, and what goes to what we talked about, why Kyle Pitts is if they're going to line him out wide too, is then maybe Hayden Hurst needs to stay on the field more. Like don't, you know, don't do sets where you let Pitts run a route, but don't have a night. Because that that offensive line is questionable. There's no question about it. Absolutely. That's a good point. Let's move on to our next game here, Washington and the Chargers. Uh, we know Ryan Fitzpatrick now is going to miss uh, some time, multiple weeks with that hip injury. So Taylor Heineke takes over as the starter. You changing your expectations you? for anyone in this <laughs> offense, Jake, with ODU's own Taylor Heineke as the quarterback? Can I least cl- the announcers on the TV where they said this kid, he's a seven-year veteran. <laughs> like, pay attention, everybody. Like, he's undrafted in 2015. So, I love it. I love to see Heineke out there. I say, it doesn't change a lot. Uh, I actually think that if you look at it, maybe it hurts Diami Brown a little bit and boosts Logan Thomas a little bit more. Logan Thomas looked fine, though, with Fitzpatrick mm-hmm. out there. Like, okay, we feel good about Logan Thomas. But it just comes down to the arm aggressiveness of Fitzpatrick versus Heineke is you're going to get more downfield throws, more downfield attempts. And the one player I think it could overall benefit, like I'm saying, slight downtick to Diami while he's out there until Curtis Samuel goes back, slight uptick to Logan Thomas. The uptick, uptick is that maybe J.D. McKissick comes back to being relevant because he was irrelevant in that mm-hmm. game, but Heineke will check down more than Ryan Fitzpatrick will. Yeah, Jake, that you saying that reminds me of my first managing editor said, "You don't ever call anybody a kid. That's a baby goat. You don't call <laughs> you don't call players kids." But uh, uh, yeah, I have no, I have no, you know, takeaways other than what Jake said there. In Terry McLaurin, we know it doesn't really matter who the quarterback right. is. The guy was out there making amazing plays, and uh, it didn't really matter. So, uh, same as it ever ever was for McLaurin. All right, Funston, I'm going to give you an opportunity to uh, victory lap here because you've been a Mike Williams guy for a while. And, man, I mean, what what what's the best number for him? Because it's all good. 61 out of 81 snaps, 12 targets, 8 catches, 82 yards, touchdown. The clear runaway number two receiver in this offense. Feeling better about him now than we were a week Only or two ago. Only fell on his back once. Only <laughs> fell on his back once, so that's good. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, it was kind of like CD Lamb though. You, he he actually had like I think he had like two drops. He d- had the, kind of an uneven first half, but they never stopped going to him, which was great mm-hmm. to see. And he just kind of, you know, the momentum kept building. So yeah, a dozen a dozen targets out of the gate in the quote unquote Michael Thomas role, as they <laughs> like to say. It's mm-hmm. it's a good first uh, you know bit of evidence that uh, Mike Williams maybe is ready for the best year of his of his career, which isn't saying a ton. Um, you know, I don't think he's ever had 50 catches before, but I think he's going to get there this year. Yeah, let's uh, just write up the Austin Eckler zero catches as an anomaly in this one and move on to week two. Bengals and Vikings, next game I want to talk about here, you guys. Um, I mean, I just, I just want to mention Jamar Chase uh, because of the game that he had. And I think the most important thing, in addition to the stats, of course, uh, that's the most important thing for your literal fantasy team performance in week one. But he got more snaps than both T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. And doing that week one right off the bat, I mean, we know he's an every week starter. Are we ready already to say, Jake, that he's the number one receiver for Cincinnati? 
No, because, and I know you know this, uh, for everybody out there that maybe doesn't, caveat, T. Higgins left for dehydration. So mm-hmm. their snaps could have been, it was 11 more than Higgins. It probably could have been even. What I take from this is kind of the joke that Joe Burrow made. <laughs> I thought he just dropped passes when he came to the podium. <laughs> I'm so glad Joe Burrow did that. Thank you, Joe Burrow. Uh, look, I had Chase in the 30s. We all, we're not wrong for saying this, had hesitancy in week one because of what we saw in the preseason, because he could have been third in snaps. The fact that he is out there and with Higgins, we'll just say for all intents and purposes, with Higgins leading the snaps, mm-hmm. the concern is now with Boyd. So okay. Boyd being the third, if you go back two months, was our concern when they had Chase. I and mean, we even saw a preseason game yet was this is going to be Higgins and Chase with Boyd being inconsistent as the third option. I think that's the takeaway from this game. Fire up Chase, fire up Higgins. No concern with Higgins. Again, he left for dehydration. The concern lies with Boyd. That's fair. I, again, I don't want to overreact to one game. You know, things can change from week to week when it comes to this. But yeah, I mean, Boyd was clearly the number three here. And if if Burrow can, you know, connect with these these guys with Higgins and Chase, yeah, it, it could be easy for, for Boyd to kind of get lost because those guys are those guys are the clear, you know, difference making talent big playmakers in the offense. So um, we'll see. I, I'm still holding out hope that Tyler Boyd will be very useful. But um, yeah, it wasn't a good first. How about start one for- sneaky takeaway and the fact that they were not lying about Joe Mixon never leaving the field yeah. with twenty nine no, carries, thirty three touches, and like yeah, he looked they're great. Gonna, they're gonna get Joe Mixon killed. <laughs> they are going, but on the way, he's going to get a lot, a lot, a lot of touches and production. Anything interesting for either of you guys on Minnesota's side of this game, or, or do we just move on? KJ Osborne was just like he was showing up all game long. It was weird. Minnesota was like, running three wide. <laughs> I know. I was like, what is going on here? KJ Osborne, do we have to, do we have to take this guy seriously? So um, I, I guess that's a development to watch going forward. I'm not sure I'm diving Conklin, in. If you need yeah. tight end help. Right. Yep. Tyler Conklin, yeah, had a couple nice plays as well, for sure. But KJ Osborne, that was weird. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I don't think any of us were expecting so much three wide from the Vikings. But still, it's Dalvin Cook's world, Justin Jefferson's world, Adam Thielen's world, and those other guys operating far below the surface. Uh, let's get to our first late game here, uh, Miami and New England. Uh, you said it, Jake, Damian Harris, big game in this one as expected. I want to ask you guys about Miami's pass catchers, though. Uh, we had nice games from both Devontae Parker and Jalen Waddle. Parker got seven targets, caught four of them for 81. Waddle, six targets, caught four of them for 61 and a touchdown. Right now, we have to assume Will Fuller is going to be ready to play week two. So what are your expectations for this group, Funston, come week two? Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, this is a tough defense for Tua. I can't say that I saw a complete difference between what he was last year and what he was in this game. Uh, I thought he was fine. I, Fuller will help. He had a couple of big plays, but it sure seemed like he was under pressure a lot and was doing a lot of the shorter stuff uh, for the most part, other than the big play to Waddle. I, I know Parker had a 30-yard catch as well, but um, it'll help. Obviously, it'll help. I just don't know that we're going to – it's kind of like one of these socialist environments here in the past game where I'm not sure who you're going to be leaning on week in and week out still. Oh, I thought we were going to move on because we were getting. <laughs> I thought you were one topicking per person here now. But like, <laughs> I am a little bit, but I thought this one could be could be one where. Oh, we, I'll uh, tell you, uh, Mike Kosicki. I told you to be concerned about him. I said we might get top fifteen, and I had him inside the top fifteen because no Will Fuller, and that still didn't matter. That's the point here: is the concern of Kosicki with the fact that there's still no Will Fuller and still couldn't get anything done, and was actually de- dealing with Durant Smythe taking away snaps from him. Uh, Kosicki, get out. 
get out for sure. We're going to talk about a tight end coming up here in just a second. We are going to have to go uh, to that whole one topic per person thing because we are running out of time on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. All right, let's get to that tight end who I wanted to talk about. He comes from the Chiefs and Browns game, and it's David Njoku, you guys. This was a fun game. Browns are surging way ahead. Chiefs make that nice comeback. We could see these teams get together once again with some bigger stakes later this season. Both of them definitely looking like the contenders we thought they were going to be. David Njoku played 35 out of 59 snaps, five targets, caught three of them for 76 yards. No Odell Beckham in this game. Obviously, that's going to change in the not-too-distant future. But if you need help at the tight end position, Brandon, does Njoku get on your radar at all? Yeah, I was wondering about how much you know no Odell impacted you know Njoku playing in the passing game and so I I I would be hesitant about that I don't know that we're we're looking at a guy who is suddenly going to step in and be a weekly helper here um and I didn't look at the numbers to see how much 12 personnel and you know how much um Hooper had 38 snaps nope Mm -hmm. yeah and and how much how much Njoku was used as a blocker versus a receiver but I just in my mind kind of filed away this could be an Odell Beckham uh, situation where they just kind of adjusted and decided to use Njoku more in the passing game. Yeah, on the Chiefs side of things, Tyreek Hill did his thing. Travis Kelsey got in the end zone a couple of times. Maybe you're left feeling a little bit flat if you had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I'm just going to bl- breeze right past this. Don't feel flat about what CEH did. 14 carries, no other back, had more than one. Three targets, caught them all for 29 yards. It was not his day from a pure statistical standpoint, but clearly in control of that Kansas City backfield in a way that we haven't really seen since the very beginning of his rookie year. Uh, let's get on to that Broncos and Giants game. The Broncos come away with a relatively comfortable 27-13 victory that maybe could have been even bigger. Obviously, the big news from this one from a fantasy perspective is Jerry Judy's injury being called a high ankle sprain. We know he is going to miss some time. Jake, how excited should we be about Tim Patrick while Judy's out? Uh, mildly, because I don't know that KJ Hamler is not going to be part of the factor, too. I mean, there's a giant touchdown that he kind of got turned around on. Still probably yep. should have caught that one. But Hamler's more explosiveness. Tim Patrick fills in more as the outside receiver. KJ Hamler right. more inside. But that's where, guess what? Sutton's outside. They don't need a Tim Patrick like they would if they lost Sutton again like last year. So I go Patrick, but as slightly, I don't think Humphrey's going to, or Humphrey Hamler is not going to be a factor. So I say both of them, you go low on Patrick. If you miss out on him, fine. May, put Hamler in as your backup bid. Yeah, they both had uh, some you know production in this game. Patrick got in the end zone, four catches, 39 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Hamler had that drop, Jake, and he did get turned around, but probably when he still should have caught. So 341 and zero could have very yeah. easily been 491 and And way more for snaps Hamler. for Patrick. That's why Patrick should be the first. I'm just saying right. that Hamler's not a non-factor. Right, exactly. They both should get a little bit of a boost. And as you said, Patrick steps more into that tr- that role that Judy plays with him going to be bumping outside. Uh, Brandon, we start in Sterling Shepard every week. I know that's Jake's guy. We know what he would say, but a huge game <laughs> oh, for Sterling yeah. Shepard in this I, one. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Starting him every no, single week. No, I, I, I've been with Jake on Sterling Shepard the whole time. I absolutely thought he was one of the most overlooked guys. He was a guy I was throwing on the end of my rosters, getting him in the last round of 12-teamers consistently. Um, look at this. The problem with Sterling Shepard's always been the fact that he can't stay healthy. Uh, he's always been a good player. And the other problem has been quarterback play as well. But when you have Kenny Galladay who went out there and is making play, I think Sterling Shepard's going to play off Kenny Galladay's threat very well. And we saw that show out in week one. So it's just at this point, 
you got to feel good about him as a you know a guy you can consider a wide receiver three most weeks. It's just a matter of him just stay healthy, just stay out there on the field, and I think you can get good returns from him. Jake, I'm going to let you quell any fears on uh, Saquon Barkley feelings after week one. Yeah, it's just, you know, I still start him at 18. I would still have started him as 18 because that's where the risk was valid. You know, uh, similar to Zeke Elliott, falls into the end zone for a touchdown or rips off one big play and nobody's complaining. The fact that he led, barely, he led in snaps over Devontae Booker. Look, he's there easing him back in. Uh, no no concerns with Saquon Barkley. He was rusty, right. though. I'll throw that one in. You just watch yeah. watch the tape. He, he had some plays where he just wasn't doing Saquon things, where he was. you could see him almost thinking in his head a little bit. So that'll take care of itself in time as well. Definitely something you would expect to take care of itself in time with a guy with that talent uh, that Saquon has. Packers getting their doors blown off. One of the more surprising, the most surprising result, uh, in my opinion, in week one. What happened to the Packers in this game, Funston? Uh, Aaron Rodgers didn't play well. Uh, give credit to the New Orleans defense, but man, I mean, they got nothing going. Uh, they did, they, you know, went, the game was out of hand and then they weren't able to lean on their running backs. Um, got no, you know, there was no, nothing going on in the passing game. I mean, um, give credit. I think this is a, I, I think you kind of have to give credit to the New Orleans Saints defense, but it also looked like Green Bay was incredibly flat, incredibly unimaginative. I don't, I just, it's, it kind of seems like one of those days. I don't know what you can really take away other than that. Jake, you take away anything else? Or is there, are you worried about anyone in this Green Bay offense? No, I just don't think there's anybody relevant after Devontae Adams, including Randall Cobb being back and Robert Tanya is going to be back to being touchdown reliant as he was last year. It's Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, Aaron Rodgers, the end. <laughs> How about New Orleans? Because that was, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a funny looking box score. If you take a look at it, you see 38 to three and Alvin Kamara did his thing. And Jameis Winston threw for five touchdowns, but did it on just 14 of 20 passing and 148 yards. I mean, we have to take this with a heavy dose of moderation, right, Jake? No question about it. You say feel good about Jameis Winston. Absolutely. No question about it. At the same time, five touchdowns set the record for the fewest amount of passing yards with five touchdowns in NFL <laughs> history. And if you looked at the snap counts, Marquez Callaway didn't really do much. Almost yep. doubled up the second closest receiver in Deontay Harris and little Jordan Humphrey. Uh, the tight end situation. Adam Trotman out there. More than three tight ends combined. Uh, Juwan Johnson out there for 12 snaps. In the two. So... I picked up Johnson in a lot of leagues. I told people, but immediately sell high. Immediately, including Jameis Winston. Sell high on Jameis Winston. Like, this is not, you're not going to get this level. This was Titans efficiency times two that you're just not <laughs> going to see because Jameis has nobody to throw to. I'd say Troutman might end up being sneaky better than we thought because he wasn't blocking as much as we saw in the yeah. preseason. And again, those snaps, but just it's Kamara and Winston. But if you can get a top 12, top 10 value on Jameis Winston, I immediately sell. Just a very, very strange game from this offense, putting up 38 points to say. It's a strange line when you put up 38 points on offense the way that the Saints did. One more game to get through, that is Rams and Bears. Funston, I'm going to go to you first. Is Van Jefferson going to be a thorn in the side of Cooper Cup and Robert Woods this uh, year? He certainly was for Woods, I would say, uh, last night against the Bears. Well, I mean, it was the first, was that first try, or it was like, Right out of the gate, he had that long touchdown. He only got targeted three times, and Cooper Cup looked vintage, you know, with the 10 targets and getting the yards after the catch and doing his thing. Robert Woods was the guy that uh, was kind of frozen. I don't know if you can blame Van Jefferson. They've all, you know, we've had, we've had Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup and Robert Woods running as top 20 receivers concurrently in this offense before. So, um, okay, the Bears are a good defense. So, um, 
you know, if this is one week where Robert Woods maybe got squeezed a little bit, I don't expect that to be a long-term thing. And I don't think it's going to be because of Van Jefferson. Bears secondary certainly looked like it missed Kyle Fuller in that game last night. Jake, give you a little bit of credit. And hey, Funston, you were beating the Tyler Higby drum as well, at least on our Sunday morning pregame show. Uh, he looked good. Uh, played all 52 snaps for this team, caught six, five of six targets for 68 yards. So he's certainly feeling locked in as a starting tight end. Jake, I'm going to ask you about the tight end on the other side of this game, and specifically Cole Komet. Bears had a large role for him in the offense. He played 51 snaps. Jimmy Graham played fewer than 20. Jimmy Graham really just seems to be a red zone option for the Bears. It's Komet all over the field. Seven targets, five catches, 42 yards. Is he someone who we could be starting in week two? Uh, I can answer this question with the name of my home league team. It's commitment issues. So that should just tell you right there what I feel about Cole Komet. Yeah, there's a very popular sleeper out there in the fantasy world. That's not unbeknownst to everybody. Uh, but this is really what we wanted to see. The concern was how much Jimmy Graham was still going to be a thorn in his side to speak of thorns. And he's not. It's not even just uh, like a 40 to 25. It was 51 to 14. Komet is entrenched as the lead guy now. And you have Alan Robinson, Delano Mooney, who, by the way, buy low, buy low on both of them, please, yeah. everywhere you possibly can. But the third option looks like it's going to be commit. And yes, I think you could probably start him in week two, especially if Justin Fields is at quarterback. Especially if Justin Fields is a quarterback. And if that's not a way <laughs> to end the show with a Bears fan as the host, I don't know what is. Please, please, at home against the Bengals week two. If you're looking for the perfect spot, that's the time to do it. Really, the perfect spot was week one because he's clearly the best quarterback on the roster. But we'll take week two. That's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. You can go to theathletic.com slash fantasyfootballpod right now. Get 50% off your first year subscription at The Athletic. For Jake Seeley and Brandon Funston, I'm Michael Beller. The show returns tomorrow where we talk with some of our beat writers here at The Athletic. The three of us were back on Thursday. Thursday talking week two rankings until then thanks for joining us enjoy the monday night game we'll talk to you soon